Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Mound Visit, the catcher's only podcast show. I'm one of your hosts, Tyler Goodrow, and I'm doing this show solo today. My, my partner, Chris News, was unavailable, um, but I'm excited to kick off game number four. I can't believe it. We've done four games thus far. We're starting game number four here. But I'm excited because I've been trying to get this guy on, and it's partly my fault as well. But uh, we're excited to bring on the Minnesota Twins minor league catching coordinator, Michael Thomas. Michael, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Like I said, uh, was trying to get you on. Yeah, I know we've been talking back and forth. But, uh, again, thanks for, for coming on the show. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me. With these crazy times, you know, it's a little challenging for all of us as we sit at home and do a lot of these calls. So, no, thanks for having me on. Well, appreciate it again. Um, yeah, like you said, COVID hit and, and we've turned to a lot of these podcasts and shows. And I know ABCA had had uh, Zoom calls as well as Stick and Ball TV had Zoom calls where we could just learn and everything. And, um, but again, I'm excited to have you on. I know we're going to talk a lot about a different, uh, you know, a lot of different things, a lot of different nuances, the way the game has changed, everything. Typically, how we would start our show, and I know you've listened to a couple of our shows, um, we would ask questions about, you know, kind of a lightning round at the at the get go. I don't really want to do that with you. I want to just dive right in. I want to get to know Michael Thomas. Kind of give us your background in baseball where you started, what were some of the things that uh, led you to your position today? Yeah, well, it, this probably won't take very long. It's not incredibly long. So um, <laughs> as a player, you know, I played at Kentucky. I was fortunate enough to spend some time there playing under Gary Anderson and playing the SEC, playing around some really good talent. So that was uh, an adventure in itself. And um, I, I tell people all the time, I had a, a really good two-week span in my career that that fortunately I was in front of the right people and um, was fortunate enough to play for the Tigers for a couple of years. And, you know, being a 22nd rounder, um, I had some, you know, dreams and aspirations of becoming a coach. And so I hung it up early. Um, I was still relatively young, but, you know, felt like it was the right time to, to dive into this coaching thing. Uh, I went back to school, got my master's, um, was a GA for a couple of years, and then uh, somehow landed a job at Virginia Tech for, for a season under John Chef, um, which was a phenomenal experience. Awesome. Got to hang out with some some really good coaches there, um, connect with some people that I may not necessarily have had the opportunity to. And then uh, through some people that I knew just from being back in Kentucky, working out, I got really close with Rick Eckstein, um, was was talking with him. And he, at the time, was the Minnesota Twins hitting coordinator on the minor league side. And was like, hey, man, I might have a job for you if you're interested. And I was like, well, you know, I'm always here to listen. Uh, next thing you know, I get offered the job and two and a half months later, I'm the uh, fourth coach in high A. So, um, got me in the door with the twins. Uh, a, a big reason I, you know, took the job was just the connection with Swanee. Um, you know, being the catching minded guy that he is, I thought it was, uh, you know, the, the right time, the right place to, to take that leap, uh, and jump over to the pro ball side. So I took that and was fortunate enough to spend a couple of years with him. Um, obviously he's doing some great things. He's being with the Yankees now and, it was kind of worked out perfectly slid into the role. So uh, I'm enjoying it so far. It's, it's definitely been challenging, but at the same time, it's been incredibly rewarding. So I have a good group of guys and I'm excited to see once we get back uh, how things roll. So, you know, how going back to kind of how, you know, you got into your role, like you said, is there anybody prior to, to Tanner that kind of helped uh, pave your way into this this next role this catching role 
Uh, I know that you were on the hitting side and now you're on the catching side or the defensive side, but is there anybody that, that really helped even prior to Tanner that said, okay, you know, this is, I'm, I'm going to figure this out, or at least I'm going to give my, my best effort into uh, trying to develop myself as a, as a defensive mind person. Good question. Honestly, <clears throat> from a catching aspect, like, not really. I think just the relationship that I had with Rick, um, with him being with the Nationals and being with the Angels and kind of giving me some ideas in terms of, like, what the coaching side of pro ball is like, um, him being in the big leagues and being a coordinator and being, you know, a rookie ball coach, kind of being all over the place. I think it gave me some insight a little bit in terms of like what it was going to take for me to get there. Um, some of the skills that I was going to need um, in order to accomplish, you know, being in this position, whether it was, you know, a defensive minded guy or on the other side of it, um, you know, if it would have been an offensive minded guy, I think just, coming into this role, it's it's different than being on the field every day as a coach, right? You're, you're spending your time bouncing around from place to place, being able to connect with the coaches and the guys. Um, I haven't had the chance to do that yet because we haven't had a season, but <laughs> like understanding like that piece is coming. Yes. Uh, that to me seems like one of the most challenging pieces of it is, is being able to stay connected and, and, and work through some of those challenges um, and, and seeing the growth as players from afar. Yeah. Right. Yep. When you're at the affiliate level, you're with those dudes every day, you're in the trenches, you're grinding it out, and you kind of see that process take place. Um, where on this side of it, you don't necessarily see the day in, day out grind up close mm -hmm. and personal. So working through that challenge, I think Rick was probably the guy that like gave me a little bit of insight um, yeah. in terms of like potentially how to handle some of that stuff. Um, and then Swanee's done wonders for me in my career in terms of mentally um, being in the position I'm in now. So I think those two guys in themselves are probably my two biggest influences. Absolutely. What, now, going back to this, what, what would you say, you talked about challenges. We have the COVID challenge. Obviously, they canceled the minor league season uh, abruptly. Uh, I'm sure that you're having daily conversations or at least connections with your catchers, as well as your, your catching coaches, defensive coaches. And I know that organizations are going to look differently when it comes, I think, maybe even as early as September. Right. And we're, we're, we're approaching September. They're going to try to figure out budgets and everything. Typically that's when the minor league season ends is September. What are the challenges that you're facing or that you were facing prior to, uh, you know, COVID-19 hitting us and, and shutting down the minor league, you know, spring train or at least spring training in general in this uh, right around March. I think the biggest challenge we faced was, with the players first was um, understanding the resources they had. Uh, I think that was the the toughest part. You know, we got guys in Washington who couldn't leave their house versus, um, you know, kids in other places who've had access to a facility this entire time. So I think in general, like from the from that challenge, like it was tough just to make sure like, okay, for the guys who can't leave their house, how do we get creative? How do we do some different things to where you can still accomplish and grow as a player um, with, incredibly limited amount of resources using your wife as somebody potentially who's going to help you out versus, <laughs> you know, your buddy down the street. So right, right. Um, it's, I think in itself, like that was, I think everybody had that challenge. Um, I think from the coaching side of it, honestly, I think it was a blessing um, for us in, in terms of being able to spend a little bit more time with some of our, our newly hired catching guys um, who 
can get acclimated to the organization. You know, we do things a little bit differently than most. Um, and so getting guys to come in and say like, hey, here's how we do it, here's why we do it, mm-hmm. and getting them to really dive in and understand that, I think that piece has been awesome. We've spent, I've spent a lot of time with those guys um, over the past four or five months. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm incredibly excited to see their growth as much as the players. So I want to follow up on that too. You know, you talk about kind of like your organizational, and, and I don't want to say it's a philosophy. Sometimes it's a philosophy. Sometimes people call it culture. I think your culture is, is built by, you know, the players and just kind of what your goals are, what you want to accomplish, whether it's, you know, winning championships. And that's what everybody wants to do. But, um, you know, let's let's dive into what everybody seems like they're talking about. I think we we call it the catching launch angle which is, is one knee setups. And, you know, we've had Tanner mm-hmm. on the show and we, we've, we've mentioned his name and um, we've had some other people as well. And I feel like that's what everybody's going to, um, not in a bad way, right? Not in a bad way. I think it's, we're starting to discover certain things that we didn't know, or at least we knew, but we were just, I guess, afraid to try certain things out. So you have somebody that comes into the Minnesota Twins organization, and we talked about, we talked with J.D. Klosser, we talked with a, a couple other catching coordinators. You get these guys that come into you from the draft or trades or whatever, and, and we kind of present to them, okay, hey, we're the Minnesota Twins. Our organization is, is you know, kind of um, neutralized around one knee catching. How are you, ha- are you having those conversations with the guys and what are those conversations like and how do you get them to understand what the benefit might be? I think there's a, again, and I'm, this might be a little too long winded, but you have these guys that are on social media that are just attacking this without maybe the, the information. They're not doing the research. They're not providing, you know, important data as to why you and, and your coaches as well as your players are now um, of setting up this way. So I guess for starters, again, that's as a long winded kind of question, but first and foremost, what's the conversation like when you get a new guy in, um, you know, do you have any pushback from these guys and then what are you providing them to kind of solidify what you guys do? Yes. I think there's, um, it's probably like a two piece answer here with the guys that we draft with the guys that we sign Honestly, those conversations have been awesome. They've been super easy. Um, and I think a lot of times with those guys, because they've never been on the pro ball side of it, um, they haven't had the numbers or they've had very limited numbers. Um, and, and when you get them over here and you say like, hey, listen, this is, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how we try to accomplish it. And then ultimately, like, this is why we do it, right? I think a lot of those guys, like they're always curious. Um, I remember the, the, the first draft I was a part of, we had a couple catchers come in and I was really interested in that process as well, see how those conversations went and it went great. And both of the guys were like, Hey, listen, like we're super generally interested. We just don't really know a whole lot about it. And so giving them the information, telling them this is why we do it, explaining certain situations in terms of like when it becomes incredibly beneficial and how it's going to impact their career, I think is like the biggest piece of it. Um, Now on the flip side of it, the more challenging conversations are the guys that are either, um, you know, guys who get traded or free agent signs, guys who have been in pro ball for a little bit, or guys that have made it to triple A or spent a couple years in the big leagues, getting them to understand some adjustments in terms of 
what can we do or what can you do as a player to get you back to that level? Or what can you do if you're, you know, in low A or high A to get to double A or triple A or, or a shot to the big league um, within the realm of what we do? And I think some of those conversations kind of depend on the kind of player they want to be or what their beliefs are in terms of what makes them a great player. But again, I think it, like ultimately if we do do our job or do, and do a good job of explaining like, hey, um, you know, this is, this is what's going to help you get back, back up there. You know, we, I have the same goal and aspirations for you as, as you do. And this is what I truly believe is going to help you get there. Uh, we got a guy we signed in the offseason this year that we had a couple years ago. Uh, came in as a super traditional catcher. He was on two feet. Um, you know, big believer in, like, being an elite blocker. Um, was an okay receiver. And, two, and the first time we had him, he received that an unbelievable rate. Um, we got him to transition to more of a knee down stance, some hybrid stuff. Um, and we've got him back into that. And he's been awesome. He's been a, a phenomenal guy to watch his growth over the past six months. But I think ultimately, if we do a bad job on our end of just saying like, hey, you're going to catch on a knee, yeah. you're going to move the baseball, he's going to look at us and say like, guys, you're crazy. Like, there's no way I'm making that change. <laughs> and so I think it's more than just saying like, hey, do this. Right. There's, there's right. so much more that goes into those conversations. Yeah. Um, but it's been it's it's been really cool to to see guys make that transition and then like conceptually understand on their end as well. Okay, this is why we're doing it. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Going on along with that as well. Uh, what do you feel like? And this is kind of a two part question. What do you feel like the biggest misconception of setting up on a knee is? And then what is the biggest challenge? Do you feel like? is setting up on a knee? I think the biggest misconception is you can't be um, a good blocker or thrower. I think uh, that's a that's a pretty touched on conversation right now. I, I think there's a lot more that goes into it. And, mm -hmm. and I'll say this, and my, I include myself into this conversation, it's never really been talked about a whole lot, right? Like nobody has spent the time to really dive into blocking or throwing on a knee. It's all about the receiving aspect, which is great. Yeah. Um, but there is that piece of it. And so I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest misconception. Um, I think the biggest challenge is finding how to make it work for every guy, mm -hmm. right? Not cookie cuttering it as we would so call it um, to say like, hey, you have to do this in this situation. Well, it's like, hey, listen, like my body type may not allow me to set up in that stance and be effective or, right. um, you know, there's, there's, there's so many more things that go into it versus like, just get into this stance and do this because this is, this is how we feel like is the best way to block. Well, maybe it's not the best way to block that pitch type or for that situation. So I think that's Absolutely. the biggest, the, the biggest challenge. I feel like so many people, they, they, they find that one pitch, right? They find the one pitch that might be an incredibly difficult pitch to catch. And I think we were, we were talking about this, you know, prior to, to hitting the record button here. But I think the other thing, too, is, is that we never look at the depth. We always see that straight-on center field camera. So we don't know exactly where that pitch hit. And I remember one of our guests had said, you know, why don't we look five seconds prior to the pitch being released? Was the catcher in the right position? Would he set up correctly? Was that even the right pitch to call there? Um, but we always attack that one pitch and then we negate the 12 that he caught uh, or excuse me, the 12 that he blocked out of that position, even tougher pitches probably. Um, 
you know, blocking's tough, right? Because I think Tanner Swanson had posted something on social media not too long ago talking about how the narrative is, is pretty tired. It's like, get, o- get over it, you know? It's not going anywhere. And it, it's only getting better. And I think guys are getting better. You're seeing guys like Stephen Vogt, who were not a, was not a very uh, flexible guy setting up on a knee. You're seeing guys like um, Chris Iannetta with the, with the Yankees that's doing it, or uh, Eric Kratz, who was a traditionally just a set-up you know, big guy. And then, obviously, the, the main one, if we're focusing on New York, is, is Gary Sanchez. But I think people, we don't, we don't see it from the get-go. We, don't, we, we just assume. We see the pitch, oh, there's a runner on third base. But in my opinion, guys could be set up late. And that pitch, whether you're on two feet or not, it's an unblockable pitch. I mean, so, I mean, I look at it that way. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know you probably ag- agree with me in, in, in a lot of cases. I feel like some guys, though, that we, we don't give the benefit of the doubt. The game is harder. The game is getting harder every day. Pitchers are throwing with some absolutely nasty shit whether it's a, a you know, 95 mile an hour turbo sinker. Okay. Does the, and, and we look at it this way. We, we always attack the numbers and the old school guys always attack the numbers. We say, you know, uh, <clears throat> well, this guy was trying to steal a strike. Well, you know, typically you don't steal strikes. You just re- present it better. Right. Let's look at it that way. <laughs> you yep. know, uh, from a throwing perspective, right. Well, if he's out, if he's in a traditional setup, maybe he's out in front too far and it throws his sequencing off. So he throws the ball out in the outfield or he under under throws the, the, to the bag, whatever. So we're looking at a lot of this different stuff, but we always attack the numbers. How, how much do you guys from a, a organizational standpoint focus on the numbers? Um, the numbers to me tell us if what we're doing is working or not, mm-hmm. right? And then we make the adjustment. Um, I, I kind of related a lot to to like blast motion, yeah. right? If you go if you go hunt a metric, if you go try to you know get the perfect attack angle or get the perfect um, you know swing plane metric or whatever it is, like that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. And I think sometimes like as you go try to attack that metric, you you miss bigger aspects of what you're actually trying to accomplish. And so I think for us, like when you look at all of our guys, they do things very similar, but none of them do it the exact same. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jeffers just got called for the big leagues and you had been rolling to town for a couple of days. Like I promise you those two guys are not the same players. Like they, but they do things very similar and they try to accomplish the same goal. Um, and so we use the metrics on our end or the, or the numbers to allow us to say like, Hey, what you're doing is working. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, like, we need to make an adjustment here because the, you know, the change that we made didn't necessarily play out in our favor. It gives us a chance to see, like, what works and what does not work. And let's try to be the best player we can by seeing how those, things, how those numbers fluctuate. Um, I, I think that's, like, the biggest use of it. I think if we try to hunt or, you know, go after a certain particular number, we're cutting ourselves short. We actually end up being worse than what we may have necessarily wanted to be um, in that regard. When you, now going back and staying on this topic of, of analytics, numbers, whatever you want to call it, metrics, right? Do you guys have an internal system that you use that says, okay, this guy is a good blocking range. This guy's got good, you know, exchange times, whatever, you know, 
receiving. Obviously, we look at, watch a game, and we see this box on TV, and what everybody sees again, and I'm attacking this because we don't think about the true narrative that's taking place. We think about that this camera is 10 feet to the right, uh, typically in most ballparks, unless you're in Colorado or the new Globe Life Park um, down in down in Texas, and it's over, you know, straight on. I think um, Target Field is straight overhead, right? Uh, that and that point now you can't tell depth of the pitch. But do you guys use something internally? Um, that you go off of and then once you do this so let's put it on a on a normal season right we don't have COVID going on what what are the conversations are you having weekly conversations with those guys or are you uh, sending them you know a text message what are you guys doing what are you using it, now i yes. get it if it's proprietary and you can't share but uh just curious what how you uh have those conversations about what they're seeing or hey Here's our pit. Here's our like whatever you want. Our tracking log, right? Mm -hmm. I can click on this video and say, "You caught this really well, but you didn't do this very well." Yeah. So, you know, every org has their own models that they run, or similar models they run for you know blocking, receiving, throwing. Um, we use all of ours on a pretty regular basis, on a daily basis, uh, to give them feedback. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's as simple as, um, you know, hey, you had a bad day. Yeah. Right. You just had a bad day. And there's other times where we can use the numbers to say, hey, um, you know, over the course of a period of time, we've seen your numbers shift in this direction. Mm -hmm. And here's how we're going to make the adjustment. And those conversations happen regularly, very regularly, um, whether it's, you know, the next morning or if they have an off day the morning after, give them a couple of days to think about it. But we want to give them the chance to continue to build and grow and not just stay stagnant. Right. And mm -hmm. so by, by having a continuous conversation versus um, only, you know, getting them when they have a bad game or if they, if, if they score low in any given, you know, task, um, I think it helps them say like, okay, we can make this adjustment here. Here's how I'm doing over the course of two weeks or here's how I'm doing over the course of, um, you know, 14 days or, uh, I'm sorry, 10 days. Um, and, and it gives us a chance to continuously grow over the course of 140 games. Yeah. That's, I think, I think that's probably more important than, um, the metric itself. The metric itself gives them the feedback, right? Right. It, it just tells them, Hey, you had a bad game or you had a good game. Um, here's how you landed, you know, today. And so we use it, um, I don't want to say we live and die by it, but we, yeah. we, the, the players understand it. They understand when they, you know, when they score bad, Hey, that wasn't a good day. I'm probably going to get a text today or, you know, we're going to have a conversation about like what potentially could have happened. If we look back at it and say like, Hey man, like you did some things I've never seen you do scratch it, throw it away. Let's go on to the next one. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, that's the, the cat and mouse game a little bit of understanding like when to use it properly um, mm -hmm. and not, and not just bombard them and say like, Hey, bad game today let's make a change yeah right and yeah. so that's the that's a, ch a challenging piece in itself but have mm -hmm. this log on them, right it's kind of like you have this file are you just adding to this file and does that player have access to a file to say okay you know you might say all right you know today and i'm just going to use jeffers as an example just because you you mm -hmm. mentioned him and, and congratulations on his call up it's awesome but you say uh you know Today you were you, you struggled on the right-handed slider pitch or whatever it is or you know 
uh, here's what I want you to do, or here's what I think you can do in your preparation work or your pre-work to get you back on track. Are you doing something like that? Do you guys have like development plans that you're, you're, you're shooting out to these guys? Yeah, we, you know, at the beginning of every year, we're going to go out and say like, all right, what's the, the lowest hanging fruit for you to accomplish? And then they end up, you know, shifting and changing a little bit, probably as the season goes on. Um, I think when we get a little more nuancey like that, um, I think what we end up seeing is, is I think you're spot on. It becomes a little bit more about preparation than it does like the actual game. And so personally, I try to spend more time like making sure guys are aware of what's going to happen versus like just trying to accomplish everything. Right. Um, giving them the, the right basis to say like, hey, you know, I'm catching – a right-handed slider that's got a little bit more lateral movement on it when you know when I do my pregame work when I catch the breaking ball like it's going to be a right-handed slider that's got a little more lateral movement on it so mm -hmm. <laughs> I you know that in itself I think um, allows us to see some of those development plans grow and build upon each other to where it's like hey now we can actually go out there and accomplish some things if we're if we're preparing ourselves properly um, we can take a realistic view and look and say like okay Hey, we you know we attacked this the right way, and and we saw the growth here. So, I think that's the those plans end up shifting and changing a little bit, but they should. And if they don't, then we probably did a bad job at some point not addressing it or or, tr or truly attacking it. Right, right. So you started as a, and I'm going to shift a little bit over to more some of the like game management stuff. And but before I do, I want to ask you one question. Mm -hmm. uh, you get drafted. You get traded to the Minnesota Twins, uh, do you have to receive off of a knee? I'm not going to say no, yeah. but I'm also not going to say yes. We've, we've encouraged a lot of guys mm -hmm. um, I know that's a tough to explore question. that. Yeah, yeah. and we, we've encouraged a lot of guys to explore that avenue. Um, I think, again, like, it's not that the guys don't have interest. Um, it's just that they may not necessarily have known, like, why it would have been beneficial for them. True. Um, and so I say that and all of our guys catch on a knee. Um, but at no point in time have I said like, hey guys, we're catching on a knee. This is what you have to do. If you don't, you're out, right? Like I, I think all of our guys have truly understood why it's gonna help them, um, why it's beneficial to them and, and, and go from there. That, that to me is, because um, I've actually had that thought and that conversation and, and thought like, hey, like if we, when we get this guy in, how does how do we approach that aspect, right? Yeah, like, hey, yeah. day one on a knee. Um, and for me, it's more of like, all right, let's get you in. Let's see what your skill set says you can do. And then allow your skill set to say like, hey, like being on a knee might be pretty advantageous for you. Yeah. Where it's like, and this is how we would use it because it could be different for somebody else where it's like, hey, being on a knee is advantageous for you, but it is completely different, yeah. right? There's a different way about how we need to go about it. So the the phrase you have to catch on a knee, I don't think has ever been said. Yeah, but I say that, and all of our guys catch on a knee. So, <laughs> <laughs> I just curious too. I just you know, and you know, it's a, it's an interesting question. I think you know, it's a it's a unique question to ask, just because you know people. It, it's like a culture. Like you guys go by the mantra, uh, you know, hashtag bottom feeders, right? And and, mm -hmm. and it seems like when we talk about the game itself, and and this is where I want to shift our gears into is pitch calling. Um, you, you have a background in it in a sense because you were a hitting guy. You're talking about your, your – you might not be doing so many mechanical changes with guys, but you might have a, 
we might have an approach. We're talking about approaches with guys. And I think your background probably serviced you better than a lot of guys that might just look at it from a, a standpoint of, I got to fix the, the, you know, the pattern of his mid, I got to fist, uh, fix something that's going to help him pocket the ball easier. I got to fix something in a sense that I'm going to allow him to stay below the plane of the pitch longer, um, the throwing, the exchange, et cetera. And, and you have a unique sense where you have this hitting background, right? And the, the twins have just, just done a, such an incredible job in terms of the analytical aspect, but now you can take it with your catchers and say, okay, guys, you know, this is what I learned from Rick Eckstein, whose, you know, brother was, you know, defied all odds because of his size, but he was a, a, an accomplished major league player and a hitter at that best, you know. So, um, but to look at it, going back to the what I was saying with the one knee setup stuff, it, I think, again, people knock it because it's unconventional and we, we don't look at the true benefits. We find that one pitch, like I said earlier, that somebody misses and we don't let really look at the point of, okay, what's going to make me effective, right? I think, you know, the catcher assist, we, when we talk about receiving the catcher assists so much velocity uh, and the movement of it, we can now steal or present as though the straw ball was a strike, you know, as far as the, you know, the throwing, the momentum of the pitch, et cetera. As far as like, uh, you know, every, everything goes with, you know, the blocking, we're staying below the plane as much as possible. And I know I'm going probably on a rant here and out, outside of this, but you guys have this, this idea, this ideology per se, that it's putting your guys in the best position to succeed. And I think we, again, we talk about it being so unconventional and it is what it is. But you're, you might be stealing 10 more strikes a game. And guess what that's doing for your pitcher? You're decreasing the pitch count, right? You're changing at bats and outcomes. Totally. So anyway, so that's kind of a rant there. But I, I, I mean, I, I, think it, I think it works. I think it works. But uh, so I want to shift over into, again, kind of what I was trying to segue into with the pitch calling. You, you have this hitting background. How have you applied it to, with your catchers? It's, it, it's been something I think that has actually helped me, um, you know, through the beginning piece of this uh, COVID time. Um, I spent a lot of time, like, really trying to develop in this space myself, mm -hmm. um, transitioning from more of a hitting-minded, hitting like, okay, how do we hit pitchers to understand, like, all right, now how do we, how do we get those guys out? Yeah. Um, using some of the things that I did last year, whether they were right or wrong, but found to work um, and, and, and apply it in a similar manner. Uh, I, I found out very quickly, like I had a long ways to go. Um, and the, I think the personal growth in this space has allowed me to be super confident when I transition this over and present it to the players. And, and it's no different. Um, I think the biggest thing and the thing that I kind of like, settle back and think back on is like, ultimately I'm trying to teach you how to go about your process in a way that allows you to be effective on a daily basis. Right. Right. I think, I think we could sit here and we could debate and argue like what information is helpful, what information allows us to accomplish the task. But ultimately like 
I want to give guys a tool set that allows them to go into a clubhouse on a daily basis with their process and a routine and say, hey, listen, this is how I use the information with the guy that's on the mound to get hitters A, B, C, D, E, F out. Mm-hmm. Right? And whether it looks like how I would do it or it's, it's completely different, um, I think the only thing that matters is, is the results in which it produces. Right? It gives us a chance to go out there and make a plan and then make an adjustment if we need to in game but if they don't have some you know some form of plan going into it they have nothing to deviate off of and i thought about that and i think that's where i kind of pulled from the hitting side a little bit where i tried to spend the time and teach guys like hey listen let's use the information to prepare right like if if i'm going to see you know a high carry fastball today like i want to prepare off a high carry fastball if i'm going to see you know 75 percent breaking balls like hey like flip me a bunch of breaking balls today that's what i need to be able to smash. Um, I, 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 yeah, I try to get guys to understand like the preparation piece of it is way more is, is what allows the uh, production part of it to come out. Not the being really good at just putting numbers down. We can, (laughs) everybody, everybody can do this. So, um, there's, there's a process that goes into that part of it. So have you, have you, um, had just, you know, time with your catchers over this, this, you know, downtime per se that you've just had on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis, whatever it might be that you're having zoom calls kind of going through, like, this is how we would, would talk because a lot of these kids, and I think about the time when I got into, I was fortunate enough to have a high school coach that allowed me to call my own games. Uh, I had a college coach, uh, you know, when I started out at Arkansas, uh, you know, it was a little bit different fall. You get to call your games and, and then obviously you're learning from the, the older guys and the veterans of what they like to do and how they like to pitch. And then, you know, I went on to junior college and I got to call my own games and then, um, you know, get into pro ball, you know, you, you're lucky if you have a coach that, that allows you to, I guess, explore, or develop or learn from that aspect of it. Um, you get in a lot of guys probably that have no idea where to start. And, and you're seeing this paradigm shift in, in major league baseball, I think number one, because that's where the, the numbers are super highlighted, but your expectation is number one, that the guy's polished enough that he can throw the ball where he needs to, right? We're talking about control and he has feel for it. Or you're having the guys that are burners and just throw the shit out of the ball by people. Um, with that being said, I mean, where's, what's, what's number one? What's, where's, where does it all start with people? Where is the foundation laid to try to tell these guys, or not tell, but instruct where they should start out when calling a game? I think first and foremost, where a lot of people miss at lower levels in which, um, let's just, because I was the same way in college where, you know, in the fall I – called my own game, wanted to see how the pitchers reacted and blah, blah, blah. And then we get to the spring and it was called for me. And then as I got older, I got a little bit um, more, more leeway there, but still it was, it wasn't a hundred percent, right? Like somebody's right. still giving me some numbers. I think where we miss as, as younger coaches or even with some younger guys is, is we don't teach them the foundational principle that the, if you took strictly your pitcher strengths and go out there and pitch, you're going to, you know, do a pretty decent job. You're in a better job than you would if you didn't do that piece of it. Um, I think that's where, where catchers miss sometimes or coaches miss in terms of the education process, because I think everybody can call their own game if you teach them to do that. Right. Right. We, we we always talk about like, Oh, he's not a good game caller. 
especially with like younger kids, always not a good game caller. Well, why isn't he a good game caller? Has anybody ever talked to him about it? Has anybody ever tried to teach him some proper steps or a process to go through? Oh no, he's never had that. And I was like, well, yeah, I wouldn't be very good either if nobody ever taught me something. So I'm not going to expect a guy to know how to do something if he's never been taught or learned how to do it. And so I think that's our job is to, is to educate those guys. I think step one is okay. And this is another conversation that could be up for debate or topic, but like teach them about the guy. To me, it doesn't really matter um, across the board what you teach them, but get them to understand, you know, your pitcher. If you get them to understand your guy on the mound, you, you put yourself in a pretty decent position. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of guys, catchers included, coaches included, you know, we, we just automatically revert to, Hey, we're getting hitters out. Let's focus on that guy. Let's, let's focus on what he does bad. And where sometimes it may not match up to say like our pitcher has the capability or like, because the hitter has a weakness here, that's a real weakness for the pitcher. Like he just incapable of doing it. And so I think making sure we know what our guy on the mound is doing is, is step a, like first thing you got to be able to do. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with that. That is awesome. I want to shift over a little bit into some drill stuff. I don't know if you're a big drill guy. Um, we got a lot of listeners that are younger uh, that, that, that love drills and, you know, they want to, they want to take it and put it into their game and stuff. I think sometimes too, and I'm just going to say this, you know, I think we get too gimmicky with drills. <laughs> um, and I've said it before. Um, I feel like we're, we try to find the next best thing. And it's like, guys, we, we just got to learn how to catch the baseball the best we can. Um, we got to learn how to, you know, transfer the ball the best we can on, on various pitches, but um, drills, drill stuff. I mean, do, what are you doing maybe in spring training? I don't know if right now, since, since this it's shut down, if you're doing anything at home right now, if you're working with any guys, um, just, uh, I guess, float some drills out there. I think first and foremost, like, again, this kind of goes back to the, the non-cookie cutter approach. Like, everybody's going to be different, mm -hmm. right? Like, during, you know, during spring training 1.0, I guess you want to call it that, we, <laughs> we offered the, the, I guess, smorgasbord of, of um, constraints, so to speak, yeah. because some guys like some different things versus some other guys, but right. allow them to use them within the environment that we create. I think that's almost – that's important. I think that's probably more important than the actual constraint itself is putting them in an environment that's going to allow them to adapt and be able to, to grow as a player, even mm -hmm. if they just use their own glove and they never use anything else. Mm -hmm. um, whether, you know, it's, it's pitch shape, pitch type, um, you know, varied feeds, exaggerated pitches, um, you know, playing with the velocity back and forth to really like disrupt their timing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think the environmental piece of it is, is more important. When I think of drill, I think of like, what can I hook a player up to that's going to change them mm -hmm. and then try to get them in the other direction. And there is absolutely a time and a place for that. Um, mm -hmm. I 100% believe that. Uh, I just think sometimes we miss where if we put the player in a good environment, yeah, he'll adapt and he'll make that adjustment way quicker than if we were to say like, um, Hey, let me stick this wrist weight on you or Hey, let me, you know, put these glasses on you or, you know, let me hook you up to this J band. Like, I think there's, I think those are all great things. Um, I think they all work. I just think yeah. sometimes they're not necessarily like, they're not a necessity. You don't have to have those things. Right. 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 
I agree. Yeah, I think sometimes we just we we try to uh, we try to fit so much in. It, and I and I think about the movie Tin Cup when the gal has all the gadgets and stuff on her. I don't know if you recall that part of that movie. Yeah. And it's just like sometimes just feeling natural is 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 okay, right? Yeah. And um, you know, I I mean, I I use some stuff, but I think we miss the boat on a lot of these things because we never explain the why and why we're doing this. What's the reasoning for this? And then you get them to understand. I think once, if they don't understand the why, the drill's not performed the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. I think if you give them the walkthrough, hey, it's kind of like instructing a a 13-year-old baseball team on cuts and relays. This, we're gonna walk through it. And here's the why we're doing this, because we have to understand where the ball is supposed to go or where we want it to go in order to, right, hopefully get it out uh, or prevent a run from scoring. It's the same thing that applies to our our catching drills, right? I want – I'm going to throw a mini disc at you, and I want you to focus on catching it with your thumb and your index finger but why? Because I'm not catching it. No, but it's to teach you control. It's to, it's to teach you to, to really focus on staying below the pitch, et cetera. This is why. Why am I hooking up a J-band to you? It's to teach you proper path and what you want to do. Now, when the path is going to change per the pitch, right? And per the pitch shape, it should change. Um, why am I going to do X, right? So I think we, we do all those drills and everything. Like you said, it's, it's, it should be for the environment and, and for what you do. Do you have any drills yourself that you like doing, though? Anything that you would say this is a staple in, in, my, in my book? Yeah, I, I think the biggest one for me right now as of late is, is um, it's just like, I'm going to call it velocity training, call it timing training. Like I think a lot of guys, they, they, they miss on their, um, they miss on their ability to be like a decent receiver or a good receiver an elite receiver because their timing is, is, is inconsistent. Um, which then puts them in tough positions to ultimately receive the baseball to their best ability and be efficient. So, Mm -hmm. um, I I think a lot of times you hear like, Oh, you got to crank it up, put the velo on a nasty movement. Um, I think that's great. I think you can do that because I think then it it forces guys to find very quickly. But I also think that um, slowing it down, and by slowing it down, I mean a 40-mile-an-hour breaking ball that's just flipped in there and just kind of tumbling over where guys have to wait as long as possible before they start to make their move because if they do, then they're going to come up and come back down and then come up and come back down and then come up through it. And so um, I I love doing that with guys because even – I mean, you take – a 12 year old kid and it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard for him. Right. And then you take a guy who has lightning quick hands an elite receiver, like that's dominating it. And it's going to be challenging for him as well. And that's what I love about it. And, um, I think it gives them a a chance to potentially slow the pace down a little bit, truly understand what their body's doing, understand the move itself. And it cleans some stuff up pretty quickly. Um, and then you can go back to the velocity and it's like, man, I didn't realize how much time I actually had when the ball is coming at me at 90 miles an hour. Like I still have some, I have some space here to work. And so that's, I think the most eye opening piece um, or the, the most eye opening drill that I've done as of recently. And like, 
been a huge fan of it. Uh, I think you can play like play around within that a little bit with whatever you want to do um, in terms of like shift the goal. But I think from like a drill setup standpoint, I think like slow the velocity down and make it like super slow. Yes. And, 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 and doing that, I think um, you find out about a lot of guys where if you just crank the velocity up all the time, sometimes you miss like what they're actually doing and it, it, it highlights or magnifies some of the deficiencies within their, their move or their, uh, their pre-pitch or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. I know, I know you guys use a lot of, um, from a pitching standpoint, and I can't recall his name, but um, he and I are linked up on Twitter, but uh, you use a lot of maybe slow motion cameras, Detronic cameras. Are you using that from your, your guys' standpoint to see, you know, what the move might be if, if they're early and, and how often are you using, are you using any other tech? Yeah. Um, it's something I've wanted to add uh, kind of to the deal is give them a chance for like immediate feedback um, give them a delayed feed, which isn't something we've, we've had or really had access to. Um, but that's something that I've spent this time. Um, I connect with Zach Stout on, on, on some ways on how to make that efficient, mm-hmm. um, from like a work standpoint and give them a chance to be like, Ooh, I like how that looked or I like how it felt. Let me take a peek at it. Um, and do it like in real time. I, I think that's big for guys. Um, that's something that I really wanted to incorporate, mm-hmm. um, in the future. I think everybody uses video. Um, I, I tried to encourage our, our video guys this year, like, Hey, when you're taking edge your videos, like if you can add a couple of seconds so we can get the, that's great. If not, if it's too long, don't worry about it. Um, but I've, I've tried to add that piece because I think in a drill setting, it's awesome, but I'll, but I really want to see it in that bullpen environment or that game environment where we're pulling those edge videos and we have the catcher and the camera angle already mm-hmm. to see if we can take a deeper peek at it and say like, okay, like let's look at some different things. Um, it gets challenging and we don't always hit it, but when we do have the ability, uh, we try to take a look at it. The one thing I'll add with the drill stuff is, yeah. and, and, and I think you touched on it um, in terms of like explaining the why I think sometimes as well, it's, it's super important to say like, Hey, listen, here's, here's why I want you to you know be in this environment. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what I want you to accomplish, but it completely eliminate the how. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think when you do that, you give the player the freedom to find his own solution. And when you, as a coach, if we tell them, Hey, this is how I want you to accomplish it. This is how I, this is how I think you should do this. This is how I believe you should move. Um, sometimes we, we restrict them and eliminate them from actually finding what's most efficient for them as a player um, or most efficient for them within um, that environment that forces them to find a solution mm-hmm. when they're like, they're, it's like, it's like the opposite of somebody giving you the answers to the test, right? You go and you take that math exam, you have all the answers, you roll through it. Well, if you do that, like in a physical environment, like you become tied up and you don't accomplish what you actually want to do. And so I think sometimes like not giving them the how you want them to do it actually frees them up and you end up learning a little bit, not necessarily about the player, but potentially a different solution that may help somebody else. Absolutely. Right? Like a different cue that might help. So um, that's the, that's probably the one piece I would add to, to like the drill setting or the drill environment is, is tell them what you want them to do in terms of like what the, the drill is and yeah. why we're doing it, but just eliminate how you want it to be solved. Eliminate yeah. the solution piece of it and, and allow them to work. I love that. 
I love that. That's huge. Yeah, because you look at it, a lot of guys are different. You know, you, it's going back to what you said. And we say it a lot. You know, we don't want to cookie cut hitters. We don't want to cookie cut catchers. We don't want to cookie cut pitchers because everybody's different. Everybody's arm angle is different when it comes from the pitching standpoint. Everybody uses their lower half differently. Obviously, you want to get to the result and the goal. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I, you know, this isn't a show to talk about, you know, us as co-hosts and stuff. And but it, that's something that I try to do as well. You know, you let the guys just kind of go and figure it out. And uh, one of our other guys on the uh, that we had on the call, I think it was a couple, I think it was a couple months ago. I said, sometimes, and I use this line, and I and I did, I know I didn't come up with this, uh, but sometimes I tell guys, you know, the best coaching is no coaching at all. And it's kind of going to your point of like, yeah, I'm giving you something, right? A little something, right? but I want you to figure out how to get there and everybody's going to have different ways of getting there. Like you had just, you just mentioned. And I think that's so true. We, we over analyze the path there and how we want it to do it. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'm not at the level that you're at, you know, I get to see some guys, right. And I think it's just understanding what their mindset is, what they're trying to accomplish. They want to come in and they don't want to be barked at. They want to, in order, and this is so cliche to say this, but you have to fail in order to learn from your successes, right? Or your, or your successes are become what, you know, what we, what we see our failures as. And, and that's how we learn and that's how we grow. And that's what we're trying to do. So I thought that was just, that was phenomenal. It's a great point to bring up. Um, so guys out there, if you're listening to that, let them, let them discover, let them learn, let them try to figure out what they, uh, how to get there. So I thought that was an, an exceptional standpoint on that. Um, what are you doing now? I mean, you know, the season gets canceled. What, what else are you doing in your life right now? Uh, I'm at home, uh, doing everything remotely, um, which has been a blessing. Um, you know, I got a, another little one on the way. So being able to spend some family time a little bit here and watch my son grow up at the same time, dive in and be able to hit everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, have my weekly, my weekly game calling meetings with the, with, with the guys that aren't in Minneapolis, you know, connect with the coaches on a regular basis. Um, watch games is, I mean, I sit on my computer and watch more baseball games and baseball than, uh, you know, I think I've ever done in my entire life, but, um, I've tried to just dive in and learn and, and, and grow, not overanalyze, but, but grow and take some things and see like, okay, how can we potentially add that to, you know, to our game uh, as an organization um, and just connect and, and keep conversations going amongst the coaches. I think that's probably been the most important thing. I've talked on the phone and zoom calls more nights, just uh, kind of shoot it around a little bit and see what we come up with. And we might come out of that conversation and say like, ah, we didn't really learn anything, but at least we had the conversation. So Absolutely. We spend a lot of time just conversating um, and then just trying to grow as many people as we can within this catching space within the organization and, and get everybody an understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. So, uh, you know, we got this 2020 season going on and I don't know if you want to call it a season or abbreviated season or just it's, it's so weird about everything and, you know, we've, we've had a lot of stuff that's happened in between, um, you know, as far as, 
you know, a lot of, you know, like we saw just as recently as the boycotts and stuff, which is, which is, is a phenomenal by the players part, you know, sticking up for what's going on in our country and everything, you know, I want to dive back in, but what are some of the things that you look at with this 2020 season? You're just like, man, that really impresses me. Or there's things that I, you know, um, that are, that are just odd, you know, and, and then you can relate it to catching, you can relate it, whatever you want. Um, I think first and foremost, just with everything is like, we're starting to realize how much of a voice the players really do have. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and I think for a society, uh, for a time of life with everything that's going on, it's, it's been great to see, um, the camaraderie, the, the brotherhood, the, the coming together of a lot of people, um, you know, to make a change. Yeah. And so I think from a, somebody who's a part of Pro Bowl, but just in general, just from being a human, um, it's, it's, it's been really cool to see the people who have stood up and who've spoken out, um, I think has been, has been great. I think from like a play perspective, I think we're starting to see a lot of young dudes that are coming up through the systems that maybe we're like, eh, I'm not so sure if he's going to be ready or not. And then they end up being spot on. So yeah. I think, I think that's been cool. Um, I think we're seeing some shifts in baseball as a game in itself, whether we like them or not, um, that may be here to stay. And, and I think that's, that's a pretty cool thing to see that, you know, we've, we've found a way to be innovative enough to make the season work. And, um, I think that's been sweet. And then just from a catching perspective, we are seeing a lot, like what we would normally see at the minor league level Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, testing so to speak right like yeah. using our, our minor league affiliates as like our testing grounds like we're starting to see at the big league level yeah. we're starting to see some big league dudes like test out some stuff to see if it works and i love it yeah whether whether it's right or wrong i love it um i think we're seeing a time in baseball where big leaguers are becoming more vulnerable to try some different things mm-hmm. and i think that is is a great thing to have right um in baseball in general and so it's super excited to see that um but just glad overall just to watch baseball. <laughs> There's a point in time where I wasn't necessarily sold that we were going to do that this oh, year. So crazy. No, so do you, do you like the, are you a fan of um, kind of the extra any rule where they're putting a runner out at second base? So being a minor league affiliate, like we did that in the minor leagues. Oh, you did? Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't mind it. Uh, to me personally, I love it because it it it, uh, it gives us some insight into what big league warriors would do. Yeah. So I like I enjoy that. Um, it it does make you think a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you actually have to think about how you would approach the situation. Who's up? Who's on base? Like there's all these. Di- it's not as simple as like oh let's just lay a bunt down. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's not that simple. And so, um, I love being able to watch big league teams do it with with the best players in the world. Um, after watching our guys do it for a couple of years. So I actually don't mind it. I would like to see it potentially altered in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you this one too. And and this is the other hot topic. I think that everything's going on is, you know, we, we talked about obviously the positioning and the setup. We didn't really necessarily touch on the, the movement of the mitt. Uh, of course, you're probably like most every catching guy. We're biased against the, uh, you know, not having an automated strike zone ever come into this game. I think it would ruin a lot of things. You know, there's human error into it. We can't we can't replace human error. I think. You know, I mean, 
Um, yeah, there's some calls that you wish that were overturned. Like I think about the Andres Galarraga, uh, uh, or Armando Galarraga, the perfect game that was totally uh, biffed. And then you go back to the 85, I think it was the 85 World Series with the Cardinals and the, and the Royals. And I think the Cardinals end up winning that World Series um, by that call that was made by the guy that said he wasn't on the bag. And, you know, so I think there's a lot of things that could have changed in history. Uh, you know, maybe Jeter, the Jeter, uh, you know, does do the Yankees start a dynasty at 96 against the the Orioles yeah. when, when Jeter's ball gets caught. That's, you know, the guy, Jeffrey Mowers hands over the fence. So uh, I know your answer, but I just want to hear your thoughts on an automated strike zone that's, that's coming in the distance here. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's both sides of it. And where I think people fail to remember is um, as great, from a pitching point of view mm-hmm. or for, I guess from a hitting point of view, like would be to have an automated strike zone, like from a pitching point of view, it's the same, it's the same thing. Right. So you've seen the calls this year that are like clear cut balls inside of that. we talked about that box, like inside of the box that are called <laughs> balls. I think Jeffers had like a like hundred mile an hour fastball. That was almost center cut. <laughs> um, and so then you see all these pitching guys like, Oh, oh automatic strike zone, automatic strike zone. And it's like, well, well, Hey, hold on a second. What about all the, the balls? they get called strikes for you guys. Right. Like you lose those, those now become balls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you don't see it as much on the hitting side in terms of like calls getting missed like that. But then like you do have the opportunity for that call to be, or you don't have it, I guess, for that call to be missed. So right. there's both sides of it. I'm, I, I think you've ruined, not ruined, but like, I think it takes away from a lot of work guys put in. Um, I think that's a piece of it that's been ha- like, you have for so long yeah. it's it's to me personally like there's not a black and white answer right um for that where like safe and out super black and white um and so i think and because of that you've seen all these catchers you mean you got mitch you got gary you got jt you got wilson you got all these guys who put in this time and effort to become elite pitch framers yeah. and now you just eliminate that part of their game you remove guys the chance to make it to the big leagues because that's their tool Exactly. Right, like right that's, on. That's yes. that's what they do well. And so you just I think you eliminate opportunities for guys. Um and you just you just remove a skill from the game, right? Replay doesn't remove a skill from the game. Um, where, right. where where an ABS system just completely removes a, a skill from the game. Right. I think it's so funny is that, that you mentioned that and stuff. You got Wilson we were talking about Wilson Contreras. We've had Cray Driver on the on the call here. Um he was one of our first guests. Um but it was so funny that we're talking about this right now. And Zan Barsdale had posted something on Twitter just now that said, uh, I hope this makes some people furious uh, in quotes, but he moves the ball too much, but it looks little league. What can you can't believe that ball was pretty much called a strike, but Wilson Contreras right now has been rated as the best defensive catcher in, in, in the league. And, and you watch it and his moves are, are totally different. He's staying below the ball much longer. Um, and, you know, it, it's not herky-jerky, and I think it's just direct. And I think it's so funny as we look at all this stuff, everybody wants to criticize, and people don't really understand what actually is seen. And, I, and I've encouraged a lot of these kids that I watch. I said, you know, people, for example – just the other day, one of my old managers, he backed up Gary Carter in New York and, uh, he and I had a conversation 
and it was pretty interesting. You know, it was just through text and he goes, you can't be, you can't be teaching this stuff. And I don't agree with this. I don't like this. And it's like, you know what, Barry, it's like, you know, if you go back to some true media stuff, even back in early, uh, two thousands, you know, or even mid two thousands, right. We're talking about 2010 ish. So these guys were bad. And now we're, you know, the umpires, we had Jeff Bannister on the call too. Cause they got, they might see, you know, uh, however many pitches a year, maybe over a hundred thousand pitches a year. I don't know. I'm speculating. I'm totally off of that number. So don't quote me on the facts, but you're missing, you know, let's say it's 21,000 or something like that pitches as an umpire alone. And you're missing, you know, maybe 400, 500 pitches according to that box, right? That's pretty good, right? You know, we're, that's really good, right? And it's tough. And, and people are like, oh, they see, they watch, they, they couch coach or whatever you want to call it. They sit on their couch. They watch the view from the center field camera. Oh, my gosh, they're yanking that mitt into the zone so far. They're jerking it back in there. But what you don't see and what the umpire, you know, looks for is he's got tells. He might use a reference point as an elbow, knee, whatever. But he's watching that ball cross the plate. The same, you know, he has a different, obviously, perspective. But he's looking at the same as the maybe that hitter. He's got point so many seconds to make a, to make a decision on the strike call. Where did it cross? He's not looking at the post catch. Now, he might. He might just to affirm what he's saying. But then he makes it in a split-second ball or strike. I saw it cross where I saw it cross. You know, and our angles and how we set up behind the plate etc. But I challenge all these guys that make comments, sit behind there. And Jeff Baker is another person that I want to point out. Um, I think he was on Tanner's uh, Zoom calls at the beginning of COVID and everything. And he talked about in the, during the uh, spring training 2.0 that he umpired, he goes, it's really hard. You're going to miss pitches. And I think we just don't give enough credit to those guys and you know, like you said, Michael, it's, you're taking away a skill that some of these guys are getting to the big leagues for. Like, Austin Barnes isn't in the big leagues for his arm. He's not in the big leagues because of his bat. He's athletic, but he receives the crap out of it, you know? So, not to hijack yeah, that by No, no, and, and, and I think you're spot on where it's it's – we forget how hard that skill is, mm-hmm. right? It, there's, there's a finite number of people in the world who, who have been back there and seen a hundred miles an hour come out of a hand and like cross a strike zone. Yeah. And so it, we forget how, how difficult that task actually becomes for the umpire. Yeah. We, and, and, and all we see is, is the catcher, you know, whether he's moving his glove a lot or whatever it is and feel like we're, you know, deceiving, um, deceiving the guy behind us and like, sure, maybe there's, maybe there's something to that. Like, I'm not going to discredit, like maybe they are deceiving the guy, but I think there's, I think there's still, um, the other side of it where like umpiring is a hard skill. It's not easy. You have no idea what's coming and then you have to make a decision on whether or not it's a ball or a strike. You have 100%. And so, and it's funny you talk about Zan, like he said something, he had tweeted in a, a, 
the other day talking about like, oh, you know, in, along the same lines about how like it looks bad, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. And he said, listen, honestly, like, I don't care what it looks like, like as long as it is, you know, there's a, there's a product. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so like I thought, I was like, I thought that was spot on. Right. We're, regardless, if you stick the pitch, if you move it, you catch on two feet or you catch on a knee. I think at the end of the day, nobody really cares as long as there's, um, you know, a positive product that's being put out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And then you, you could think that about any facet of the, of, of life in general. Right. You, you know, you make a product, you know, somebody innovates and does it a little bit differently and you don't like necessarily how it looks, but it produces better. Like, are you not going to buy it now? Like, yeah. right. And so like, that's how I've kind of viewed it. Um, I think it's something that we can get, you know, so overly concerned about, you know, what does it look like? Mm-hmm. You know, when at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters and the only thing that pays is, is production. Um, Absolutely. The, the, mo- the biggest facet of the game in which you could really highlight that is hitting, right? Mm-hmm. Think about all the, the, the quote-unquote like ugly stances you've seen in your lifetime <laughs> from guys that rake. Right. right. Right? And so that's, that's what it makes me think of. Like, yeah. Just because it looks bad doesn't mean it can't work. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that's the thing, you know, these guys talk about – I talk about the old, old school type catchers, you know, that, that – you know, feel it's necessary to attack what's happening in the game. It's not the same game. It's not the same game. The the things that are similar is that there's a pitcher, there's a catcher, there's, you know, eight other fielder or nine or seven other fielders, infielders, outfielders in the, in the field. We have a batter. It's mono and mono there, and you're trying to get an out. Or the hitter's trying to get a hit. That's the same. You know, how we approach it, you know, somebody got got smart and realized hey uh, i'm getting ta- i'm getting tagged by this this hand i'm getting tagged by this ball this this movement of this pitch and it's pulling me out of the zone how do i make it look like it was still in the zone and and there's nothing wrong with it like i i talk a lot about it with a lot of the kids that i train talk about that hitting and, and catching are a lot similar it, that more similar than we think you load and hitting you load and catching you set up in certain ways, and not to say that you're setting up to hit a pitch. You might have a two-strike swing. I don't know. Brett Boone did. Um, you know, he's one guy that I can think of. Anthony Rizzo has a two-strike swing. So you give different stances for different pitches, or at least different counts, et cetera. Uh, you might, you know, stand up on on the plate to attack a slower pitch. Same thing applies from a catching standpoint. I might move up, or I might do something and change my path to the ball in order to catch it. So I think we just, we, we overthink it. We think that it's wrong. We think that it's incorrect because it's, it's unconventional or it's not the way that we did it. And I tell everybody all the time when they walk through the door, if I, if I would teach you the things that I did when I played, uh, I'd make you a worse player for it, <laughs> you know? So it's i mean how many times have we all thought about like man i wish i would have known that five years ago exactly right or, or, or there's things you teach now it's like man i wish i would have known that as a player um because i could have potentially really utilized this in my game and so i think you're spot on i'm i mean i don't i don't disagree with anything there i think i think you're spot on with that well, cool well my man um really appreciate this i think this is a lot of great insight um excited for when the season gets going for you guys here soon i don't know if they discussed anything with you as far as what maybe there's an instructional league fall league 
or are we just set ready to go for 2021? Yeah, I think we're um, a little bit kind of waiting to kind of see what happens. Um, I, I know there's discussions and conversations that are that are being had, but nothing's been solidified, at least that I know of up to this point. So um, I think I'm in the same boat as you, like hoping we do something um, before, you know, the 2020 year rolls around. But uh, yeah, I think I think we've we've done a pretty good job of putting ourselves in a position to, to get some work in, um, you know, do things at the highest level that we can. So yeah. um, I, I don't think there's um, any shame in that either if we didn't do anything. No doubt. Well, cool, my man. I really, again, appreciate the time. Um, I think a lot of people will really enjoy listening to this and getting to know you. Um, I know you're out there, but um, before we go, I'd like to plug your your Twitter. And if you can, so tell everybody where they can follow you at. Yeah, so my Twitter is, is at Michael underscore T42. Uh, unconventionally, my parents ruined me for the rest of my life. So my name is E-A-L, not A-E-L, just on it out there. <laughs> so people don't, people don't lose their minds. Um, they're like, oh, I gave us the wrong one. No, I yeah. promise you it's right. So um, I'm, probably, I'm probably most active on Twitter than really anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, be safe. Um, enjoy your family. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me on. And as well, man, enjoy that. Enjoy that new little one. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you very much.